Welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Series 2, part 17, and we'll begin to wind down series 2 only because series 2 has been a lot 17 parts of series 2 absolutely totally blow 17 parts of series 1 out the water there's the whole other level that we have introduced in series 2 of our teachings and I'm it's my desire you know how Paul says that it's my desire to to present you as a chaste virgin or a chaste bride for the Lord. It's my desire that we are evolving to be a practicing church. Not just a publishing church, but a practicing church. Because the world has never been in need of doers of the word like she is now. The world needs not the word. The world needs people doing the word so that we don't get carried away by having the word and realize that that's not what the world needs right now. Are you here? The world needs the word being done so as we teach and teach and teach and teach let's be mindful literally mindful let's have our minds full of the fact that the word of God is for application when you get to the point that you know that I will not receive the word and not practice. That's when you start to take your sonship seriously. Your life cannot be different from your message. Refuse it. Refuse it. If you have a friend or a sister or a brother who knows you and sees you and knows and sees and can testify that you do not practice the word outside of these walls. You have led that person astray. You have no right to have a friend in church if together with that friend you don't practice the gospel. If that friend helps you compromise your stance on the gospel. If that friend encourages carnality. If that friend is such that you forget the particulars of your sonship when you are with them because they're not interested but you met them in church, you are dead actually. Because you form a friendship in church that doesn't support and enhance your gospel conviction. 
you just formed an alliance of enmity. Do you understand what I'm saying? What you have is a frenemy. So when you hang with someone and the person knows what Pav has taught, knows that what Pav has taught is consistent with the scriptures, but the person knows you're not practicing it and you're not interested, you're in trouble and you're comfortable with the person. Evil company. Corrupt good manners. It's only a matter of time and you find yourself having flipped. Most people that changed you are people you thought you would change. Most people that influenced you wrongly are people you were convinced you would influence positively in a while. Over a period of time. But before you could know what was happening, you had been compromised. You had shifted. There's people that have disconnected from church because of one conversation they had with somebody in church. One conversation. And suddenly nothing else matters anymore because you lent your ears to the wrong voice. Again, it takes us back to church consciousness. And I've always said to you that the reason I sound the way I sound is because I'm systematic in my teaching. And when I come to talk about a subject of scripture, I look at that subject in the light of the entire scriptures. I don't just pick a verse and come and tell you grace is life. I'm systematic. I look at what the entire scriptures have to say about grace. And then establish doctrine. Does that make sense? I look at what the entire scriptures have to say about faith. And then establish doctrine. I don't come to you and say Hebrews 11.1. 1, now faith is. There's no single verse in the Bible that defines faith. It is the entire Bible that defines faith. Not a verse in the Bible. Are you here? It's not one verse that defines grace. The entire scriptures define grace. So to teach grace, you'd have to look at grace in the light of the entire scriptures. Not one verse. There's no single verse that defines law. Law of spirit and death. Ministry of condemnation. Ministry of death. Law that is fading. Moses. The prophets. Tablets of stone. Engraved. Multiple references to the same subject. You don't find all of that in one, one text of scripture. Does that make sense? So you can't come and quote one verse and try to draw a definition or description or, or, or explanation for that concept from the one verse. If you are going to be thorough with scriptures, you look at what all of the scriptures have to say about one thing. Are you following me? If you're going to pay attention to hermeneutics, we're going to pay attention to the the art and science of biblical interpretation. Before you draw a doctrinal conclusion on any matter, you would look at what the entire scriptures have to say about that one matter. So for some of us, it's not, I read my Bible from Genesis to Revelation four times this year. That's absolute nonsense. You can read it four times, cover to cover, back to front, and see nothing. And most people think that they are mature in the faith because of how many times they've read their Bible and yet they don't see the basic things. 
if I was going to count how many times in a year I read my Bible, it'd probably be like 50 to 70 times. Because that's as many times at, at the minimum that I do a comprehensive systematic study. If I want to teach on, on the subject, I will go through the entire scriptures getting revelation on that one subject. So I can finish trolling through the Bible in one week and next week I'm doing the same thing again looking for something else. Are you following me now? Next week. If I'm going to do a series on covenant, I will sit with Genesis to Revelation. Rightly divided. Fleece out everything there is that the scripture says about that thing. Stitch them together. The similarities, the contrasts, the oppositions, and then finally the harmonizations. Because there has to be. Scripture is not confused. Contrary to what they think and say. Yes. If you look at the entire thing, where it appears to be contrary here, I've taught you guys over and over that where you come up upon a gray scripture or an unclear scripture, you use a clear scripture to interpret the unclear scripture. Make sense? And we have applied that principle countless times in this house. Come upon an unclear scripture, there's clarity, find it. So it's on that basis that I will come and say something as authoritatively and as audaciously as I say. And not care if it's popular opinion or not. Because Genesis to Revelation over that subject cannot lie. Are you following me now? So by the time you come and play Matthew 5 for me and say, Think ye not that I came to abolish the law. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That's, first of all, you're showing lack of basic English comprehension. That you missed the English definition of fulfill. But assuming you even understand it, what, how can Jesus be saying he came to uphold what he's the end of? That makes no logical sense. Right? And then you will start to argue as a lot of mischievous people do. That well, it's not even Jesus that said he's the end of the law. It's Paul. No, it's people are that mischievous. Divorcing Paul from Jesus. Oh yes. Discrediting Paul. Holy Paul knew what he was, he was fermenting. Um, okay, but you believe Jesus. Jesus, you know. Paul, you don't know. All of a sudden. But that same Jesus took up the cup on the night he was preached and said, this is the cup of the New Testament. Hold up. He didn't say this is the cup of the improved testament. In Exodus, when the blood was shed of the animals, Moses told the people, this is the covenant God is cutting with you this day. That's how the old covenant came in. By the blood of Jesus, because every covenant is ratified with blood. By the blood of Jesus, he, Jesus says, this is the cup of the new. When new comes, it replaces the old. So even if we are looking just to Jesus, it's clear that he came to do a replacement work. Not an improvement work. Right? Jesus came to do a replacement work, not a... Or an improvement work. It came to replace. Not improve. 
So when we look at that in the light of the entire scripture and we say something, as ridiculous as it sounds, go and check the scriptures. Ignore the voices on YouTube and Facebook, books, tracks, crusades, and TV stations. Go to the scriptures. Why have I said all that? I say things like, over the past week, I say things like, you don't speak the word of God into your situation. That sounds like a very unchristian thing to say. Because a lot of Christianity, especially charismatic Pentecostal Christianity, is centered around speaking the word into your situation. But then you look through scripture and then you're looking for one instance where the apostles spoke a word into this situation. And unfortunately, you know how you're looking for something in scripture? You're honestly hoping to be right. I'm not doing anything I don't understand from scripture. Whether it's right or wrong. Whether it feels good or not. What do the scriptures have to say about this? Are you here? So when I say stuff, me, Alexander Victor, I say stuff with conviction of scripture. Rightly divided. I said all that to harness or buttress the point of one place in scripture where you are told to speak into your situation. And so I sat down and I questioned myself, why, why, why do you even believe this thing? Because some father said it. You know, some father in the faith. Some so-called general. That's another nonsense that is not scriptural. Who is ordaining who? General in God's kingdom. On what basis are you general? The church you built? The countries you have visited? How many years you have been in ministry? Such that if you don't have what they have, you are a lance corporal. Or age? Why then will Paul tell Titus in Titus 1.5, I left you in Crete for this reason. Go around and ordain bishops in every church. If it's age. Why would he tell Timothy, let no one despise your youth? Rebuke and exhort. And instruct all instructing. But telling Timothy, don't look at anybody's face. So on what basis are we giving rankings in the kingdom when the rewards will come from he? Before whom we must deal. When we answer for works. That's when appellations and designations and rewards will be given. He says, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. The church does not give anybody ranking. Ouch. But it is what it is. The church doesn't give anybody ranking. It's a three-star general in the army of God. Where's the army? Speak the word into your situation. So we now start speaking the word to inanimate objects. Telling them they have ears. Let them hear. Lay your hands on your car. And all of these activities are alien to scripture. Because it turns out for the believer, there's only one destination for the word of God. Your mind. So, so in actual fact, the reason why we struggle to do God's word 
is because we have channeled it in every other direction besides where it is supposed to go. Satan's sleight of hand. Distracts you with what you have no business doing so that you lose sight of what you actually should be doing. This is game. You are sending the word in directions it has no business going. Send the word of God on assignment. Lift your money up, your offering, and speak to it. That's witchcraft. Ouch. Lift your offering, speak to your offering. Send the offering on an assignment. That's the same thing they do in the shrine. Talk to it. Talk to it, talk to it. Tell it what you want. Tell it what you want. So since we can't go to the shrine, let's bring the shrine to church. In Jesus' name. Speak to your offering. Speak to your offering. Send it on assignment. So you can't give to God except the money is going to do something for you. Listen, you just don't worry about coming to church. And you'll get faster results. you get faster results. I've said it over and over. If you're in church for money, you're in the wrong place. You, 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 hey, you, you suffer. If it's money you're looking for, don't come to church. There's faster places. I'm telling you to help you. Just so you don't waste your time. And so you don't look at us like we, we didn't meet your expectations. That's why people come to church and leave after a while because they have modeled up expectations. You come to an expecting church will make you rich. Church will make you prosper. You know, you come into prosperity. After you give a little or do a little or obey a little or serve a little. If you are looking for money, don't come to church. Listen. Are you here? Talk to it. Even the look of it should let you know. Just the look of it should be ridiculous enough to make you ask questions. Take your knee, bend down, put your hand on the earth. Speak to the earth. That the earth should do what? So the church is distracted from doing the gospel because we have created false avenues for you to channel the gospel. False avenues. Avenues that lead to nothing. You're using the word for everything other than what the word is designed to be used for. There's one destination for God's word. Your mind. Every time the word was spoken, released, it was spoken, released to work on somebody's mind. Every time. That's how powerful your mind is. Only the word of God can change it. So somebody whose mind cannot be changed by God's word is someone whose mind is unregenerate. That's what I was given for. I got a text that said, Jesus spoke to the fig tree, the wind. And these are inanimate objects. How do you clarify that? Who was Jesus? How was Jesus? By him, all things were created. By him, not by you. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Not by you. You and all your sonship of being the same as Christ, you will never create any creation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Does that make sense? So the creative release of Jesus, the Logos, was evident in his life and ministry. And when, you, when it says Jesus spoke, 
Is it a projection of his authority as creator? Or is it words as in what is uttered? If it was words as in what is uttered as a pattern, how come none of these guys following Jesus did the same? Because that's how I study. Because angels showed Paul that a storm is coming on. Dock in this shore, in this yes, port, yes, sir, yes, sir, this yes, harbor. Yes, Let the storm pass. Yes, the shipmaster refused. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And the ship ran aground. Yes. Why did Paul not speak to the wind? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And the storm said, Peace. Second, I'm not, I'm not going to answer the question. I'm just giving you thoughts. Secondly, what you're releasing is it your word? Hear me carefully. Backed by God's power. Or is it God's word? When Elisha called Beers to come out and eat 40 children, was it God? Whose word did Elisha send forth? Did it come to pass? What power was Elisha operating by? Are you sure? Not the devil. Couldn't be. He just got anointed. So by what power did he call forth beers? Was it God's word? Was that God's will? Elijah called down fire from heaven. He kept consuming, even Elijah kept consuming people 50 by 50. Fire is falling from heaven, consuming people like chickens. The third guy came and said, please, oh please, please, please. Now send them, send me. Where's the first 50? Fire consumed them. Second 50, fire consumed You are down the third 50. Will you not have sense? Catch every one of them, kill them, let no one of them escape. Whose word? Whose power? Then you get to Luke 9. They're going through a place. They had to go through Samaria. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. City mocked them and rejected them. Yes, sir. So they look at these guys. Remember the pattern, yes, Master. Let's call down fire yes, like Elijah did. Why did Jesus rebuke mm. them if it was God's word that was sent forth yes, to sir. call down fire? Why would Jesus then go as far as telling them, Do you not know what manner of spirit you are of? In other words, this manner of spirit you are of does not call down fire to consume people. Elijah did it by God's power. Was it God's word he released or his? By God's power. As surely as the Lord lives, there shall be no rain or dew except at my word. So, by all means, a believer has power. Go back to the word, the power of the believer. It's powering what you say. That's why you also be mindful of what you say. But God's word coming into you from you. This is word written. And expounded by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes. That's what we're talking about. Are you following me now? Yes. Not utterances. Not even inspired utterances. Because no matter how inspired you are right now in your spirit, it will never become scripture. <laughs> no matter how inspired right now you are. You're like, ah, this, this paths rhymes. It's in set. Psalm 151. You following me now? Yeah. Galatians this chapter 6 didn't quite. Let's add 6b. 
No, Jesus made sure of that in Revelation when he says, no, nothing can be added to this. And nothing taken from it. So his word is his word as it stands. Are you following me? His word is, is his word as it stands. That's why I said, be careful of people that will tow you along the lines of God has spoken what everybody can take that is not in scriptures. So does God speak to you? Yes. Does he speak to you personally? Yes. Can he become scripturally binding on all of us? No. You said the Holy Spirit told you to cut your hair. Fine, cut your hair. Now come and announce to the church that because you felt a, an impression to cut your hair, we should all now cut our hair or else we're not at par with the faith. Does that make sense? Can he tell you to refrain from eating? Yes. Is that him speaking to you? Yes. Is that a scriptural standard? No. So what is the scriptural standard for believers? The scriptures. What's the word that we can take and do business with? The scriptures. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to unpack that scriptures within us. And there's one destination for this word. Your mind. Do you understand that now? Not talking about your word by God's power. <laughs> We're talking God's word. Are you following me now? You will not see a place in the New Testament where it says, if you're sick, lay your hands on your head. The closest you will find is, let's, if anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders. Anoint him with oil. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Anointing with oil there was not spiritual. It was medicinal. Because if you are claiming anointing is oil and is spiritual, then every goat and sheep in Israel was, was spiritual. Because they were being anointed every day. So what's the difference between you and them? David could say of his shepherd, that anointed my head. Because as a shepherd, he anoints the head of his sheep every time to keep the fleas away from disturbing them and enable their wounds to heal. Soothe them back to health. Anointing comes from ointment, ointing. So the application of ointment is referred to as anointing. And when they pour the, the, the oil over the head of the ship, there's a container that is put under the head of the ship to catch the overflow of the oil, hence my cup runneth over. Because you don't just pour oil over the head of the ship and then it just rolls away. There's a cup there that catches the overflow of the oil. So we can use what is left and pour on another ship's head. There's nothing spiritual about it. Soothe you. Let me minister to you. Medicate you if you like. Because if, they are, if it's the anointing that is healing the sick, how come they say the prayer of faith will heal the sick? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Not the oil. Or the so-called anointing. The prayer of faith will heal the sick. So let's keep the major things major. Let's keep the major things major. And don't get swept away by the nonsense and the craze that's going on in the name of Jesus. It won't profit you. You'll find very shortly that you're grown up and the same dissatisfaction your parents had. You'll find yourself in the same dissatisfaction. The same life of plenty of activity and many unanswered questions. Many unmet squashed hopes and unrealistic expectations. Because it's how you're living now with life and youthful exuberance. Excited. 
Your responsibilities are minimal. It won't always be like that, sir. So Paul was saying in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. And in all wisdom. In your hearts and minds. Because that's where the word works. If the word of God is not working in your mind, it's not doing anything in you. If the word of God is not doing anything in your mind, if it's not working in your mind, it's not doing anything in you. If God will walk in you, he'll walk in your mind. Nothing is happening if, if it's not happening in your mind. Your dreams are fed by the memories and thoughts stored in your mind. What's, are you following me now? Your memory lobes on the back of your head that are triggered when you sleep are triggered as fed by the memories and thoughts and imaginations in your mind. Sometimes those memories, thoughts, and imaginations come together concisely enough to make a rational or reasonable image. That becomes a dream you can remember and explain. Some other times, the details don't quite come together like information stored on a hard drive that has not been defragmented. They are all fragments of your imagination and thoughts scattered around the hard drive of your mind that your lobe is trying to bring together and make out an image that we can appreciate. But because the, the details are mixed up, it makes no sense. That's why you must be careful about your dream. I'll teach that someday. Be careful. It takes you getting to a point in your purification, in your sanctification, before you can trust your dream. Is it helping you? God will not entrust his counsel to your mind if it is not renewed. Because an unrenewed mind cannot prove that which is his good, acceptable, perfect way. So if you're in the purification and sanctification process, careful how you dream and careful how seriously you take it. And that's why interestingly, we see in scriptures, again, a couple of instances where in the New Testament where people dreamt or dreamed. But we see no reference to it as manifestations of spirituals. We see no reference to it as gifts. We see no reference to it as what you should desire. Why? Because it is subjective, man. This one is not spiritual. Purify your mind enough, you will see images that are consistent with scripture. You then tell us what you saw as opposed to what you are saying. And they are both the same thing because they are coming from a place of a washed, washed mind. That's why people have fever dreams. So we come and dream and say, I, I, saw, I saw fire burning. It doesn't mean anything. We don't all have to be afraid because you saw fire. Because the fire you saw is inconsistent with scripture. So if you say the Lord, the Lord told you, the Lord showed you, you saw the Lord, and none of what you are saying is consistent with scripture, you are lying. So there's no reason why we should take you seriously. At least not around here. So can, can God in his sovereignty speak through dreams? Yes. Your mind must be renewed. When Joseph saw 
sheaves bowing before him. It wasn't his ego. It wasn't him desiring to rule over his brothers. It was in the purity of his mind that he could pick God's will. Are you following me now? So when you sleep, your thoughts begin to be picked randomly in most cases. Concisely in other cases. In most cases. Randomly, in some cases, concisely. Gleaning from what is in your mind. That's why Jesus wants to enter and dwell in your mind. He wants to be your mind. Are you following me now? So mind renewal actually boils down to mind replacement. Because as you're pouring something into this, your own mind, with all its impurities, is pouring out. This is a water bottle. If we start to pour Zobo into it, after a while, so the only water will be the reference to the container it once was. Yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir. To be a water bottle containing Zobo. It will be Samas' mind containing Jesus' mind. Yes, sir. Does that make sense? So mind renewal is mind replacement. Because his word is his will. His mind. As you feed it to your mind, it replaces your mind. And that's why the believer struggles with vices. You're, you're born again, you know, as, as we say. Your spirit is re- regenerated, right? But you're struggling with stuff because your mind is struggling. Somebody's on fire, as they say, for the Lord. Yeah? Jim Jim sister. <laughs> and then, boom, something goes out. Because a disconnect happened in your mind. This is why we also flip in church. You can leave home excited. Get to church. Sister Cecilia says something. That's enough to flip you. Why was your spirit not strong enough to resist Sister Cecilia's words or action? Or, rephrase, is it to say that your spirit wasn't strong enough. That is a lie. Because your spirit is not your spirit. Your spirit is God's spirit. So if you're looking at strong enough or powerful or capacity, then the question is not with the spirit of God in you. So that you fell and lost your countenance and got tripped by something is not to say that the spirit of God left you or was not active in you. So what fed that change of countenance? Your mind. But your spirit, which is his spirit, is given to you to know his mind. Problem is, he did not settle in your own mind. So when Sister Cecilia did what she did, your mind didn't have the information required to process what the spirit of God has downloaded inside you at that point in time. So you flipped, you lost yourself. Sometimes you're not, even, you're not even cognizant of the fact that you've lost yourself until somebody says, are you okay? Yeah. You don't look alright. You're like, oh, really? I, I thought I was. I thought, and like I said to you on Tuesday, when you find that, stay in that channel, find it. Yeah. Find it. Why, why did that happen? 
Why did my countenance change? Who said what? What did they say? What did they do? What did I see? Play back what happened. Find the point. You will find it. It's like going back to rewatch a CCTV recording after something happens. You will find it. And deal with it. That is the only point where transformation starts to take place. And transformation is necessary for kingdom culture. You, you cannot fake the culture of the kingdom. You can only fake so much. If you're not, for instance, if you're not prompt with timekeeping, after a while we will know that you have a problem with time. If you're not a giver by nature, you're not a giver, but whether giving will make you look good and paint you in good light, then you give. But when you go away, you're smarting from what you gave because you didn't really give it. You gave it as investment for glory. Your brothers around you don't know you as a giver. Your sisters around you don't know you as a giver. Your wife or your husband doesn't know you as a giver. But people around you know you as a giver. You are a fraud. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. You're a fraud. Everyone around you, nobody can testify that you give. The people closest to you. Yeah. Except when there's glory in it for you. When we will clap for you. Yeah. Then you will give. You're not giving, you're investing in accolades. Does that make sense? Yeah. Investing in accolades. So you can't fake the culture of the kingdom. And transformation is such that you become an avenue for dispensing the culture of the kingdom. That's why the society is so messed up. Because we're using the word to pray. Using the word to command our situations. Yes? yes Using, sending the word to your enemies. Yes. Sending the word to Satan. Yes. Again, something that's alien to scripture. You don't see anybody in scripture praying to say, Satan. Hear me, Satan. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord. Yes. So we are distracted by Satan. Yeah. We're distracted by inanimate objects. We're distracted by perceived human enemies. Distracted by our bosses at work. And most times the boss you're trying to pray to kill is a boss that if you were efficient and active in your job and had the right countenance and mindset, your light will shine regardless. Because most of us are terrible with our work ethic. Most of us are terrible with our attitude. Terrible with our submission to authority. I say, my boss doesn't like me. Excuse me, if I were your boss, I won't like you either. And I tell you because I love you. Before you say, this guy is a terrible leader. Are you a great follower? No, he's a very bad boss. Are you a delightful employee? Or are you also looking to cut corners? You don't take your boss's name to your prophet. And your boss, who knows you are giving him a tough time, takes your name to his prophet. Now becomes whose prophet is more dirty. It's not about power. 
Because you're, you're feeling like, ah, my boss is not organizing me. The boss is feeling like, what kind of employee is this? So we won't play dirty. Two can play that game. Or can you confidently say, wait first? Make I give you the picture where it could make sense. Because you know that your conscience is clear. So the culture of the kingdom cannot be faked for too long. That's why the society is so messed up. I started by saying, we have never needed to see the gospel, the word of God being done as we do now. There has to be a crop of people that are willing to do the kingdom, to do the gospel. That's what transformation works in you, out of you. Transformation in you is the culture of the kingdom out of you. First Corinthians 6 and 1. There any of you have any matter against one another? Go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Put it up in the TPT. Furthermore, how dare you take a fellow believer to court? It is wrong to drag him before the unrighteous to settle a legal dispute. This is not a suggestion. Isn't it better to take him before God's holy believer settle the matter? He goes on to say, do you not know you will judge angels? If you will judge angels, then it's an issue among yourselves you can't judge. So if we can't settle an issue among ourselves, then we don't have the culture of the kingdom. We are not being transformed. To the point where we need an unbeliever with their own worldview to mediate our issues. That's why I said this jointedness in the church is unbelief in the world. We preach all that we preach, all the holiness, all the righteousness, all the fear of God. There's no transformation. And until the gospel is transforming, it's not working. So personally, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of throwing word out and seeing people say, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in the light. Can we act like the found? Ephesians chapter 4. I'll just read through. In Ephesians chapter 1, you see where Paul immediately starts to hammer on our redemption in Christ. Yeah? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right? Just as he chose us from the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love and all of that in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He goes all through and then he starts to, on account of that, he starts to pray that our eyes be, the eyes of our understanding be enlightened that we will see the hope unto which we are called, right? Goes on to chapter 2, still talking about our realities, in whom we were dead in our trespasses, he has quickened, right? Made a life in God, brought near by his blood, you know, Christ is our peace, broken down the wall of separation, no Jew, no Gentile, right? Connected all of us to him. Goes on to chapter 3, and begins to speak about the mystery which is now revealed, that the wisdom of God might be made known through principles and powers by the church, Right, and then he now goes into talking about how praying again that us rooted and grounded in love will know together with all the saints, which is the height, the depth, the width, the length, and to know the love of God that cannot be known. Then he gets into chapter four, and doctrine switches to practice. 
all of Paul's letters. There's none of Paul's letters that leaves you feeling sweet in your belly. Oh, I'm righteous. Oh, I'm holy. Oh, my sins are forgiven. Oh, I have it. Paul never leaves the church there once. That's instructive. Every time he lays down doctrine, he will lay down practice. Every time they lay down doctrine, they will lay down practice. Because doctrine is for practice. Are you here? Doctrine is not for recitation. Doctrine is for practice. So in chapter 4, he now starts to say, walk worthy of your calling from verse 1. For there's one Lord, right? One faith. One baptism. One Lord and Father of all. This is why he that ascended, ascended, but what is the reason that he ascended, that he first descended, and then gave gifts. They gave gifts for the edification of the body. And we all come to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. Perfect man, lacking nothing. Right? And then from there, doctrine again goes into practice from verse 17. So let's start from there. Just to give you a backdrop. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. 20. Tell your neighbor that first line. Tell the other neighbor. That should be your mantra when your brother or sister is saying, doing, thinking something contrary to the doctrine we have received. Remind them, brother, you have not so learned Christ. This is not how you learn Christ. I keep saying that times will tell. Whichever you call, whoever you call a friend, that's not helping your Christ walk. It's your enemy. Yes, you see. Yes, Just wait. Yes, Since you don't want to hear what? Yes, Just wait. You are with somebody in a Christ-centered environment that sponsors your anti-Christ attitude. It's your enemy. Because yes, when you start to act in that direction, Paul is saying, you have not so learned. That's not how you learned Christ. The Christ you have received does not teach you to do that. So the grace of God doesn't champion nonsense. And we're talking basic Christ on display attitude. I'm not coming to slap you with scripture and say to you, now that you're born again, you cannot commit masturbation. That's not how it goes. You will commit. I know, I know. You have faith, eh? You know why you will commit for a while? Because your mind is renewed. And receiving Christ does not renew your mind. Receiving Christ does not renew the mind. That's why religious people and unbelievers doubt the eternal security of our salvation. Because they expected to see instant transformation at the time we received Christ. It doesn't work like that. And that doesn't mean we have not received Christ. Because receiving Christ is a spiritual thing. Hello? What did you receive when you received Christ? The spirit of Christ. 
the spirit of the son. So what part of you is regenerate? Your spirit. What part of you is going to be regenerated? Your body. The journey from spirit to body happens where? In the mind. This life you live on the earth is governed by your mind. So you will struggle because that's an area your mind needs to be renewed. If the day you received Christ, you paid complete attention to mind renewal, you break off the addictions quicker. It's not by prayer. Who is listening to me today? It's not by prayer, sir. If the first time you heard the word of God that shows you that this thing changes your mindset in an area and you receive, you might have told you the first time you hear the word, it's not when you hear it. When an opportunity comes to do the word you have heard and you apply it, that's the day you heard it. Does that make sense? And you look at certain nuances of scripture like once have, once have I spoken, twice have you heard? What does it mean twice have I heard? You heard God and then he repeated himself. <laughs> twice have I heard many what? It's not when you heard the word that you heard it. You heard it. You hear it. When the opportunity comes that that word is tested and your only response is the response based on the word you receive, that's the day you heard it. The day you did it is the day you heard it. Not the day you heard it. <laughs> Are you here? The day you did the word is the day you heard it. Not the day you heard it. Ah, oh, powerful service. Amazing preaching. Oh, powerful. You teached. Wait. Let life meet you along the lines of what you said I teached. Then you remember what I taught. And you apply it. That's the day you heard it. That's the day you can say, Pav, you taught. Not after service. <laughs> Not after service. So we have a lot of hailing in church. You know what I mean? Ah, hailing. Ah, man, you taught. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying don't judge that as the efficacy of the word. Don't judge the efficacy of the word by how you felt when you were hearing it. The efficacy of the word is by what you do when the opportunity presents itself. That's how we know the word is effective. Not by how you feel when you hear it for the first time. Even though that's okay. But if that's all there is to your response to God's word, you haven't heard it. So when you see certain things happening in your life, ask yourself, is this how I learned Christ? 20, put it back up, Ephesians 4. Is this helping anybody? But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him. Did you see that? If indeed you heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Next verse. We're going all the way. What's the truth? That you put off concerning your former conduct. Somebody say my former conduct. So, you are a certain way. You no longer are that way. 
If you don't put off what you no longer are, you still act that way. So it is not your present conduct. It's your former conduct. That if you don't put off, you will act according to your former conduct. Who's getting this? You will put off your conduct that has been paid for by the blood. Or else you continue to act according to that conduct. Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you, tell your neighbor you, and the other neighbor, put on the new man. You are a new creation, are you not? Now put it on. So you see, contrary to popular belief, even among new creation reality preachers, the forgiveness of sin is not the transformation of the man. Ouch. New creation, new creation, new creation, new creation, righteousness of God in Christ, righteousness of God. Put it on! Put on the new one. Wear the new man. You have been born into new birth. Think of it as what you wear upon yourself. Put on a new man. How does the TPT or the message put verse 24? To be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. They brought transformation into it. Which is interesting. Same verse. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness. And now you belong to him in the realm of true holiness. How does the message put this? 24. Since then, since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct. Who saw that? Renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Because God's character is not reproduced in the unbeliever. Unbeliever doesn't have his spirit. So it's in the believer that transformation takes place. The idea is that God should be able to make boast of you in the, in the world, in the earth. And says, this is an example of what my son is like. This is an example. Put on the new man. Created in true righteousness and holiness. 25 then says, therefore, on account of this, if you, if you are indeed putting on the new man and putting off the old man, you put away lying. You will grab lying in your life and put it away. It's not spiritual. There's no spirit of lying. You will grab lying where you gave it 
residence rent free. You understand? In your mind, you will grab it, throw it out. Again, what's the distraction to these things in church? Deliverance. Most of what we call deliverance is distraction. Abdicating to prayer. What is fixed by the word of God working in your mind. But see, it's easy to blame everything and everyone else for your problem. Does that make sense? It's easy. It's easy. It's when that cat started showing up on the fence. So, so, so her character just changed. When that dog gave birth to those four puppies that two died. When that eight-year-old girl came from the village, you are so stupid. There's an eight-year-old girl that can carry your whole family and tie it off. That's how cheap you are. And you, 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 you even have the impunity to see it's an eight-year-old girl that is troubling your whole family. Since that girl came, can't speak English, can't dress properly, doesn't know what things are called, but she is, she's level 12, 12, 12. And you deliver her last Sunday, it was not enough. Since that girl came, we're always looking for somebody to blame. Tell line anyhow. Take it, put it away. Paul is telling them, putting away line. Don't forget, Paul was receiving reports. So. Paul was telling the efficient church to put away line because, hello, they were lying. Because what is not present cannot be put away. So he had told them, you are sat with Christ in heavenly places. Your sins are forgiven. You died to sin. Man, that you will behold, all of you will behold the love of God that passes understanding. You were bought with a price. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. On account of this, stop that thing. Do you get it now? You cannot embrace doctrine and eschew practice. You cannot embrace doctrine and abdicate practice. Doctrine is nothing to you if you're not practicing it. Doctrine is nothing if not being practiced. Put away lying. How do you put away lying? By speaking the truth. Therefore, putting away lying, comma, you see that? Yes. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members <laughs> of one another. So how do you checkmate? How do you put away lying? By speaking the truth. So when you're about to lie, remember we're members of one another. Oh, and you say the truth. At that moment, you just put away lying. You don't put away lying by saying, I decree and declare. I will not lie anymore. So help me, God. You put down the Bible or whatever, and we say to you, AG, did you mean that? And you said, yes, I did. You just lied. <laughs> so you don't put away lying by saying you put away lying. You put away lying by speaking the truth when you had an opportunity to lie. 
Does that make sense? And then we say, we'll call you. Linus, where are you? I'm almost there. I'm in a taxi. You have not finished dressing. <laughs> Hear me. You will never ever have the ability to tell the truth. Even when you have no reason to lie. You will go beyond necessary lying. You get into impulsive, inevitable, uncontrollable lying. Because you've just gotten so used to lying, you are deadened to truth. It doesn't exist anymore. You lie so flagrantly, you can't even remember your last lie. You know what I'm saying? When you're cornered, you now look for ways to explain away that lie. You can't say the truth. I'm, I'm on my way. I don't. Dare. That's what's messed up the country. There's no sense of ethics because believers don't have it. You lie to your pastor. I'm coming. You haven't left to your pastor. Your boss at work doesn't stand a chance. If you can lie to your pastor, there's nobody you won't lie to. You lie to your pastor. I'm going to sleep well. There's nobody you won't lie to. I'm coming. And to you, it's harmless. After all, last, last, will I not come? <laughs> he referred to a lying spirit that went upon, came upon Ahab. What spirit operated in Ahab? The, the spirit of Satan. The spirit of this world that works in the sons of disobedience. You have your father, the devil. He has been lying from the beginning. Let's follow scripture systematically. Don't isolate it. So when, you, when those questions come up before you process, look at it in the light of the entire scriptures and dispensations. The believer has one spirit. There's no other spirit you can have. So a believer cannot be lying by his spirit. Full stop. If you are lying by his spirit, you don't have the spirit of God. So the spirit of this world that works in the world is working in you. But Paul is writing to believers. So you can't call a believer and cast out a spirit of lying. A believer who lies does not have a lying spirit. Yes, sir. At the point a believer has a lying spirit, he does not have the spirit of God. And if the spirit of God can leave a believer for lying spirit to enter, the believer is lost and will never be found again. If the Holy Spirit leaves you, he's not coming back. You don't, you don't see that in scripture. The spirit of God leaves you and comes, leaves you. He seals you, unseals you, seals you, unseals you, seals you, unseals you according to your performance. God saved you for himself. <laughs> God saved you for himself. So when you hear spirit, think spirit holistically. How the spirit worked in the old, how the spirit works in the new. Does that make sense? If the believer has the spirit of God, nothing else happening in the believer's life can be attributed to a different spirit. Whatever else is happening in your life has to be happening in your mind. That's where the church has got it mixed up. That's where deliverance comes in. To cast out spirits. Cast out spirits from a believer. 
And that's why the, the deliverance, like I said a few seconds ago, is never ever finished. You keep casting. The billboards keep changing. And this is why I keep saying, this is why a lot of believers have a lot of unanswered questions. There's settlement and rest and stability that we don't have because some things just don't make sense. And so an atheist will look at you and think, you don't even know what you're saying. The spirit of lying, where is it sat in you? Is your house, is your mind, your life a three-bedroom flat? The Holy Spirit is in the master bedroom. There's not two spare bedrooms that can act as guests depending on what spirit is feeling at what point to possess you. So don't disturb the Holy Spirit's quarter. He has his own and sweet bathroom. Does that make sense? But the rest of you can share toilet and do whatever it is you want to do and be going in and out as you like, whatever spirit you are. Don't trouble the Holy Spirit. He won't trouble you. Or the Holy Spirit in one man or the Holy Spirit is so weak, such a coward, so lily-livered and chicken-hearted that as a demon spirit is entering you, the Holy Spirit jumps out. Run! Quick! Jump out before you come and contaminate me. He's cleansing you, but he cannot stand an impurity. He runs. Don't cleanse me, sir. I can't do myself. I can't do myself. Don't come back. So I should not sort myself out. Deal with the spirit. Chase the spirit out. Clean the room. Lord, you are welcome in this place. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Don't come back. You're not welcome. That's how we keep receiving him and losing him. Receiving him, losing him, topping him up. But spirituals in the New Testament, it's the spirituals dynamic. For the New Testament believer is different. Are we getting this? Come possessed by different spirits. But in that era, things, even God, even the Spirit of God came in and left people as he had need. Bezalel and Aholia and Ahitophel did not keep Aholia, did not keep the Holy Ghost. Entered to do the craftsmanship for the tabernacle. As soon as it was done, out. That's the problem with David. Holy Spirit entered him. He now didn't want the Holy Spirit to go. Yes. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. It's not time for the Holy Spirit to stay, my friend. Yes. Does that make sense? Comes upon him, he slays Goliath. Comes upon him, he does stuff. He has tasted of the Holy Spirit. Now God is retrieving the Holy Spirit back. David is fighting. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me joy of salvation. Because you, you saw grace. So you, you, you can understand some rants of David. He starts to rant. Okay, is it my heart? That's the problem. Okay, you know what? Let's strike a deal. Create in me a clean heart. You must understand the psychology behind David's prayers. Yeah, he had seen grace. He had seen the New Testament. He knew he couldn't keep this thing. Okay, you know what? So create in me a clean heart. Renew your respite. Yeah. Restore to me joy. Take not your Holy Spirit for me. What, what does it take? In a clean heart, cookie, create one. The right spirit, do it, whatever it takes. Uphold me, he says in another, in another prayer. Uphold me with thy sweet spirit. Whatever you do, don't take your joy from me. Yeah, taste that stuff you wanted to keep today now. What was reserved for us together with him. So even then, the spirit came and left. The spirit will come upon. They called the king of Syria, called 
Elisha, Elisha came and Jehoshaphat was there. And he told him, say, if not for Jehoshaphat, yeah, I wouldn't even be talking to you. You know, Elisha, Elisha had major anger issues. You have anybody's time? So I, I have absolutely no regard for you right now. But for the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. That's why I'm even talking to you. So you want to hear God? Okay. I will hear God for you. Bring me a musician. Bring me a minstrel. So as the minstrel starts to play, the Bible says the spirit came upon Elisha. So he arrived there without the spirit. But knowing he would have the agency of the spirit as he had need. Are you receiving clarity? That's why the spirit of God can come out of Saul and an evil spirit go into him. Then David will now play. And as David play, the spirit of evil spirit from God will leave Saul. Because the spirit of God left Saul and an evil spirit from God troubled him. And that will be an evil spirit permitted by God. I'm not teaching that today. Because God does not have evil spirit to send. Because he's a lot of hosts. Does that make sense? Not that the Holy God sent, he has a particular evil spirit that he now sends into you to torture you. <laughs> so when we talk these things, look at them in the light of dispensations throughout scripture. Once you look at it in the light of dispensations, consistency comes. Confusion goes. And that's what we're dealing with in church today. We do not understand dispensationalism. This one is that one. That one is this one. Anywhere the belly face. But if those things were so, the apostles, that's why the apostles' doctrine is important. Because they laid down a pattern. They walked with Jesus. If you don't see a pattern of it in the apostles and the epistles, you cannot make it doctrine. Around here, Elijah doesn't set doctrine. Hey, guy doesn't constitute doctrine. Around here. The guy says, I deliver to you that which I received directly. So please respect the dispensations. They're not your mate. Are you following me now? That is on the, on the basis of this that Paul will say, put away, put away lying. Because lying is not spiritual, it's in your mind. You put it away. Stop casting it out. Because we would have seen at least one example. Even when there was a thief, he said, let's see that that person is stealing. Stop stealing. How do you stop stealing? Walk. Not pray to stop stealing or fast. What's making you steal? You don't have. If you walk, you will have. If you have, you won't steal. Nothing spiritual about it. So we must allow the word of God, the gospel, confront our theology and straighten it. We must. We must. The gospel must confront how you see things. Confront your worldview and straighten it out. Otherwise, you will never enjoy the joy of salvation. You continue to struggle and not understand why. Where is this thing happening? Your mind your mind. The church has missed this for centuries. We hammer on everything else and we ignore the mind. But the transformation that God is doing in the believer in the earth today is in your mind. Ignore that you're not going anywhere. 
So therefore, on account of this, putting away lying, let each one speak the truth to his neighbor. Put the text back up. When 25 of Ephesians 4. Are you getting this at all? Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry. <laughs> and do not sin. Look at me. That means don't be angry. I'll explain to you. No, 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 no. Like this. If you can be angry but cannot use the anger to do anything, then don't be angry. What's the point? Don't forget it's a lawyer speaking to you. You want to vex? Vex. You feel better? Vex. Have you vexed? And do nothing with it. Because everything you do in anger will be seen. Because James says, the wrath of man walketh not the righteousness of God. If the wrath of man does not work out God's righteousness, it means he works out your own righteousness or he works out what you deem to be right. Not what God deems to be right. To he that knows what to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Whatever is not of faith, Romans 14, is sin. Therefore, if you act in wrath that is not consistent with God's righteousness, what did you do? Why would you even vex? The first place. Bangang. Because there's no how you give in to anger that you won't sin. You will say something and come back and say, I didn't mean it that way. I was angry. I take it back. And you know the thing about words, you can never take them back. It's another popular phrase that makes no sense. Once you have said a word, guys, once you have said a word, you can't take it back. You can say, yes, I repent. I shouldn't have said that. You can't delete it from my head. So you must be careful what you say. It's not as easy as I take it back. I shouldn't have said it. It's not tangible like that. I'm sorry, I apologize. So be angry and sin not equals to. Don't bother being angry. Because you can't do anything with your anger. Because you are angry, your anger does not work God's righteousness. Put it on my is it James, James, James 2? Yes. Um, from 19. The thought starts from 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath or to anger. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. TPT and the message. There's brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak. And be slow to become angry for human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. Right. See why the church is messed up? Because when you hear something like it's like, ah, no now. It doesn't appeal to your mind. So like I said on Tuesday, resistance to truth starts to build up. Who remembers? Resistance to truth starts to build up in your heart. You're like, no. Uh-uh. So I should, I should just let the person get away with it. 
when you deliver what you think is justice, it was unrighteousness. That's why you are dragging one another to court. That's why you are setting each other up to fall. Rather than holding each other up when they trip. But you get angry at the person. You are such a, hey, you compound things and you play the person straight into the hands of the enemy who is waiting to receive them at the point of their lowest fall. If any of you is overtaken by a trespass, we'll come to that in a bit. In Galatians 6, those of you who are strong, restore such a one gently, lest you yourselves be overcome by the same. That's the practice of the gospel. It's there in Galatians 6. But most times you don't want your hands to be dirty with somebody else's mess. So you throw the person under the bus and break your leg as a body of Christ in the process. Or God your eye in the process. Because that person is a member of you. So even when you get angry and use your human anger to met what you think is justice, is unrighteousness to God. That should instruct somebody here. A lot of mess in the church will change. So we're so thirsty for blood in church. You can't heal unless you hurt somebody for being hurt. I've said this for years. Hurting somebody else doesn't help you heal. Most times you feel more empty after you did all you thought you could do to hurt somebody. You feel worse. Somebody who kills the person who killed his loved one feels worse after he kills them. Because that revenge kept him alive for such a long time and gave him a sense of purpose. When you execute that vengeance, it's like you have nothing else to live for. That's when the emptiness of your loss truly hits you. Because you sedated the reality of your loss by the object or the object of your vengeance the object of your vengeance once you succeeded then what when you lock the person in prison and then you go home then what that doesn't deal with the hurt so even when you follow your anger legitimately it doesn't produce God's righteousness especially with believers <laughs> yeah 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 the gospel. Yeah. This is the gospel at practice level. Yeah. At practice level. The wrath of man walketh not the righteousness of God. Why bother? So it says be slow to anger. And then Ephesians 4 says, oh yeah, you ought to be, to be angry. See not. Then the way that Jesus will have employed that method of complicating the law so that you can't you can know that you have no hope keeping it. You know, Jesus will say it it was written that he that sleeps with another man's wife commits adultery with her. Now I say to you, if you so much as look. <laughs> so Jesus wasn't giving you an easy way out. So you want to keep law. See levels of law. Oh yeah, keep it. He said, if you so much as look with your eyes lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. Hey, look with the eye equals physical adultery, but not physical in the heart. Who can stand? That was exactly Jesus' plan. His plan was not who can keep it. Who can stand? So that's why the Lord was keeping you in chains until faith. 
Are you following me now? Ah, Moses told you, you can put away your wife for any reason. Now I tell you, any reason apart from adultery, you have seen, you cannot do it. Ah. So Jesus came to magnify the law and show you how impossible it was for you to keep it. So when he says he's the end of the law, you can say, yes, yes, please deliver us from this thing. You understand? That's the same application that Paul applies in Ephesians 4. Be angry, sin not. What's the point? Okay, you still want, you think you can be angry and not sin. Don't let the sun go down your anger. Uh -uh, so this anger self. Even your anger is on the timer. Tick tock, tick tock. I cannot do anything with this vex. Tick tock, tick tock. I cannot do anything with this vex. Tick, but the vex is going. Time is going. But I can't do this. This vex is going to expire in six hours. But as it's counting down, I cannot do anything with this vex. Anything I do with this vex does not work the righteousness of God. But the vex is there. And yet the vex has to expire. Oh, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Five, four, three, two, one. You can't vex again. So imagine the vex inside of you about. So first of all, you're vexed, right? Then there's now the vex of having vex you cannot use, right? Then there's now the frustration of this vex that you're having about the vex that you're vexed that you cannot use being on a timer. What? So, so listen, so equals to vex not. So it's not so much Paul giving you a formula for handling anger as it is him showing you the futility. This is the same approach he uses Passover to drum home the Lord's Day, the Lord's Supper. Same approach. So it's not giving you formula as it were. The same way Jesus is telling you, forgive 70 times 7. He's not telling you 490 times. He's telling you, forgive indefinitely. Keep no record of it. Because who has time? Let me prove it again to you. So how many times must we forgive our brother, master? Jesus replies, 490 times. Forgive your brother, not brethren. Brother meaning is individual, individualistic. Even if it's all your lifetime. Let's work with all your lifetime self. 490 times is what Melody gets from me. 490 times is what Shalom gets from me. 10 of you in that wing means that I'm keeping a book or record or log of 4,900 times I will forgive in that section. Times another 10 in this section becomes 9,800 times. Let's say 10,000 times. And then these other two sections, we're looking at roughly about 20,000 forgiveness opportunities that I have to exhaust. So now every time something happens with Melody, I go to my pie chart or my tally chart. One, two, three, four, then five. Now I'm on three with Melody. Shalom pisses me off. While I'm on three on Melody's tally chart, I go Shalom. One. Do you understand? AG really annoys me, so he's on 49. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. So now, I'm, my whole life, I'm juggling tally charts 
keeping record of how many times AG's own is. How many times Shalom? Then I put, oh no, no, this one, delete. No, this actual one is actually melodies, not Shalom. This other one is, I know they look like sometimes it can be Sonia, but okay, Sonia owner 91. Then, then Barahat's own is two. It doesn't use the verse paper much. Um, this other one will be. So really, you want to spend your life keeping such records. Right now, doesn't it sound dizzying to you? This is just for less than 40 people. That's why I said, let's do 490 for lifetime, not a day, lifetime. Think of how many people right now in your life you know that all have a 490 license for their lifetime. This is where John will say, not even all the world can contain the books. You now know people, you know me people that you don't have, you don't know their name, the person in the taxi that offended you. That X guy. X1, Anonymous 2. Market Woman 3. Bus driver 8. So what does that tell you? It was not a formula for keeping tally on forgiveness. It was Jesus telling you, it's pointless to count. 70 times 7 equals to, it is pointless to count. That's how you understand scripture. <laughs> Who has this helped? And you see that figure of speech over and over in scripture. You see where it says, 10,000 times 10,000. You say, okay, that's one million. And then it says, plus innumerable number of angels. So he wasn't trying to give you a number. He was trying to jolt your imagination about infinity. (laughs) And that figure of speech exists in scripture so many times. All through scripture. If you're paying attention to biblical interpretation. All through scripture. You see, but Jesus is saying something that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is beyond what he's saying. Are you following me now? So you don't take it just literally and adopt it. It's okay, 490 times. How many people in the world do you want to keep track of 490 times? You have that energy. You, the truth of the matter is you don't. So by the time you realize you don't have that energy, then you realize it's pointless to count forgiveness. Equals to give it unconditionally. And by the time you trawl through some of the translations, some of them will hammer in or zero in on that as the definition of 70 times 7. Matthew 18.22 I'm reading an article that came up that's pretty, pretty sweet actually. The article here says by saying we are to forgive those who sin against us 70 times 7, Jesus was not limiting forgiveness to 490 times. A number that is for all practical purposes beyond counting. Christians with forgiving hearts not only do not limit the number of times they forgive, they continue to forgive with as much grace the thousandth time as they did the first time. Does that make sense? And this would not be consistent with what Paul says in Ephesians 4, we'll get there shortly, where he says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Did God put a number on how he forgave you in Christ? Why would he put a number on how you forgive your brother in Christ? Make sense? 70 times 7 is not keeping a tally. 
you had 487. Three more times. Theory. I'll be slow to this anger. Theory more. Once. 88. Ah, you're pushing it. 89. 490. You know what? That's you have officially before heaven and earth exhausted your forgiveness. And you're a believer. If what Jesus was teaching you was a numerical possibility, then he has shot himself in the foot. He has now showed us that he too, there's a measure to his forgiveness. Be angry, sin not. Ah, where are we? 25, 26? Ephesians 4. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That means don't bother. Don't even don't 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 bother. Something you will not detonate. Why start the timer? Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Go on. <laughs> no, give place to the devil. So it's pointless. Let him who stole steal no longer. Somebody upsets you, pisses you off, tell them. I hear somebody is asking, so if we can't be angry, what can we do? Talk! Not about the person, to the person. Do it immediately before it takes root. Listen, you must listen to me. Love believes the best, scripture says. Let me help you practically. When somebody seems like they have offended you, the reason it's imperative to talk to them immediately is because one, you love them. Two, because love keeps no record of wrong and love believes the best, you know that you are giving your brother a chance to not be wrong. Even though he has wronged you. But because love believes the best, you want to give an opportunity as early as possible to not come across as the wrong one. How do you do that? You address it immediately before it takes root. Because once it takes root, your brother becomes guilty until proven innocent. So now your brother is fighting to win you back when he should not have lost you in the first place because of your so-called beef. Who understands what I just said? The fact that you and I had an issue doesn't mean it's the end of our relationship. Most times it's immaturity and foolishness that leads to that. The moment you say something that offends me because I love you, I will come to you before the offense takes root. Because if the offense takes root, you cease to be somebody I love. You become somebody that has offended me. Who's, who's getting this? You must treat offense inside the remit of love. Yes, sir. Once you carry offense and sit it on a pedestal, it doesn't matter what the person even tells you to apologize. It will not get to your heart to heal because you have already enthroned that person in a place where you feel pain. But because you love them, you shouldn't put them on that altar of your pain. Because you know if you put them there, it will be hard to take them out. Because most times the un unregenerate mind wants to replace one hurt with another. There's something about human beings that that nurse a hurt that helps them feel human. There's something about nobody that is, there's, there's nobody in your life that you are not happy with. You feel uncomfortable. 
So the moment you are making peace with this person, unconsciously, your entire subconscious is yearning for somebody else to put on that altar of your pain. Now that precious is finally, finally exiting that altar. Who is this helping? So you have a relationship and all you can think of is when the relationship will go from here to go and to joining the people on that altar. You can't maximize the joy of what you have because one way or the other, there has to, that altar demands sacrifice. The altar of your pain. You have grown so used to living with pain, living with doubt, living with suspicion, living with insecurity, living with lack of trust, that when you are in a place in your life where these things are not there, you feel like something's wrong. Just like relationships, that a woman feels something's wrong. Men as well have not fought. Oh yes, we have not quarreled. You hear the nonsense in English phrase, we disagree to agree. We agree to disagree. Where do you see that in scripture? We agree to disagree. How does that make any sense? We, to agree, we agree first. We come to agreement so that we can disagree. And well, agree to disagree. And we're seeing it in church. So when somebody offends you, first thing you should ask yourself is, is this somebody I love? Not, is this somebody that loves me? Because if you reverse it to, is this somebody that loves me? Everything you do will be based on how you measure their love for you in your own estimation. In your own estimation. But the moment you ask yourself, is this somebody I love? Is this somebody I care about? Is this somebody I don't want to lose? Wrath dies. Love takes over. And love bears no record of wrong. Love forgives all things. Believes the best in all things. In the body. That way you will never need to be angry. How much more be angry and sin not? What's the point? Most times what comes out, comes out after a third party. So you're talking, oh yeah, yeah, so that's, that dude, that did, that's, that's how Sema was passing out, she matched me. And that day was ETS. But where did you store it? In your spirit? What, what triggered it? Something else that somebody said that appealed to that memory in your mind. And that's when you suddenly realize, wait, oh, I should not even be cool with Sema. Some of, you, some of you don't, the people that you are, you are falling out with, you fell out of them, not of your own making. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You just woke up and realized, no, now, I should not be cool with you. Yeah. Why, why, why am I cool with you? Yeah. After what you did to me, yeah. that time? Yeah. No. No, you should not be cool. Oh, we're cool? That was a mistake. Yeah. People flip. And you're wondering what happened. Somebody, some voice, some thought happened. It's dangerous to not talk. And it's dangerous to talk to the wrong people. Go to the person. You said this in rehearsal. You said that at work. You came across us. And most times the person doesn't even have a clue. Most times. But because you led with wrath, 
instead of with love, you don't give them a chance to right the wrong. That's why the church is so messed up. For this reason, some of you are sick and some sleep. But being kingdom culture, the practice of the gospel is not difficult. Like I said a few weeks ago, you just have to stop being a Nigerian to do it. Stop being black for a minute and be kingdom culture. And then it's even so sweet that you are sat in a meeting like this and you're thinking, oh yes, it's true. It's something that favored it to me. I should, have, I should have spoken to her. The beauty of mind renewal is that right now as the word of God from you is coming into you. I repeat, as the word of God from you is coming into you. Because the word of God you are hearing is inside you. As the word of God from you is coming into you, you find that the word has washed everything in your mind that had to do with you and favor. So that by the end of the meeting, you don't need to speak to favor and you're fine. That's how powerful the word ought to be. The word of God doesn't shift the weight. Doesn't wash your mind and change your perception of your brother. Even if they wronged you. By your estimation. And most times they didn't. They did what was best in their sense of knowledge. You speak, that's how you do. If you deal with that, you'll be the happiest person on earth. Your countenance will never change. Somebody hurts you, you talk about it. You probably didn't mean to hurt me. You probably didn't intend to. But when you said that and did that, it came across like... Oh, I'm really sorry. That was farthest from my intentions. I apologize. And you, in your heart, you'll be like, I knew it. I knew abundant grace didn't intend to hurt me. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And you are glad you give them an opportunity to write it. That's why you're at church. Oh. Oh, God, I went well. I haven't lost a sister. I haven't lost a pastor. Hallelujah. I knew it. I knew they would not just, just wake up and decide they're going to hurt me. That's how love believes the best. And then they go, my friend, I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of here. And then you know that that person is not a loved one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that's when you now avoid them. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's when you avoid them. You seek counsel. So you know what? Your obedience is complete. I spoke to them. They insisted that they were right. They insisted that they did nothing wrong. They insisted that I'm just imagining it in my head. Whatever, whatever, whatever. At that point, you know, okay, this one is not family. Yeah. Does that make sense? And you avoid them. You love them, but you avoid them. You don't have to deal with them. Yeah. But carrying somebody and putting them on a pedestal of your heart without giving them the opportunity to prove that they didn't set out to hurt you is you being carnal. Opening your mouth and telling a third party is you being evil yes. in your carnality. Yes. Because this person has no clue. Yes. And sometimes they are falling over themselves just trying to please you. Yes. Yes. Falling over themselves just trying to love you. And so most times we make it hard to receive love. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There, therein lies the health of the church. Yes. Translation of the gospel to practice. That's when church becomes sweet. That's when a society has hope. Because I said over and over, we build the church, the church builds the society, society builds the nation. Ephesians 4, 27-ish. Is anybody getting this? 28. Let him who stole, that's the verse now, 
You know, oh man, Holy Ghost. I try when I'm teaching to. Please, when you read the scriptures, don't read the scriptures for me. Disjointed, disconnected point of view. Don't do it. You won't get it. When you read, let's heed that. Stop, stop. What does it mean? Let him that. Means there is a him. That. <laughs> or there's a word. I'll be no need for that mention. Let him that stole. Uh-uh. You know it's a letter. And he's writing from prison. So he doesn't have all the time to say, okay, I heard that. Now Paul, here was what was on Paul's mind. That he didn't have time to write. According to the nomenclature of the, of the letter. So, because they have given a report to him. It's wisdom that is stealing. He just didn't have time to write. So I heard that wisdom in the official church is stealing. Please let me tell wisdom. You should, not, you should stop stealing. And should walk. There was a thief called wisdom. Does that make sense? The fact that Paul doesn't mention the person's name doesn't mean the person's name wasn't there. One. Two. Doesn't mean Paul was saying do not steal as an abstract. He wasn't saying let him that steals. Referring to general. No, there was a known thief. Does that make sense? There was a known thief. Just like there's a known gossip. There is a known person with anger issues. There's a known person with selfishness. That person that is stealing. Tell him. Stop stealing. Let him work. Working with his own hands. Go on. What is good? That he may have something to give to him who has a need. That tells you, suggesting again nomenclature, that the person who was stealing probably had good intention. It's very likely the person that was stealing was stealing to give someone like Robin Hood. That's why Paul would stretch the solution. And say, just as the solution to lying is telling the truth to your neighbor, the solution to stealing is working with your hands so that you can achieve with working with your hands what you are trying to achieve by stealing. Which will suggest that what the person that was stealing was stealing to do was to give to someone who is in need. After all, they were in the church. So this was a thief with good intention. An efficient church thief with good intention. That's why Paul addresses the issue specifically. Let that guy who is stealing, let him walk instead so he can have to meet his needs and the needs of others. Highlighting that as the probable cause for that person stealing. And today, there's a thief among us. Even for the best of reasons. Stop stealing. Start working. You know the truth about life is there's always work to do. If you're not egoistical and proud. If you don't think certain things are beneath you. There is always work to do. You buy a bag of pure water, sell it, double it. There's always work to do. So most times, the reason why some of us are not doing anything is because we feel like it's beneath us. That's the truth. Not because there's no work to do. You feel like some things are just... You are better than some things. If you are better than them, why are you where you are? If you're all that, why are you where you are? But if if you be honest with yourself, there are things you can do at whatever level you find yourself. Whatever level. 
whatever level. You will hustle your way. If you want to be enterprising, nothing can stop you. Nothing. Not even money. There are businesses you start and money meets you later. There are skills you start to monetize before money comes to you. There are. Just start. Let it still, still no more. Walk with your own hands. Tell your neighbor, walk with your own hands. And the other neighbor. Mm-hmm. And what is that? The practice. That's where doctrine meets practice. Let's finish Ephesians 4. That he that steals, steal no more. 28. Walking with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. I wonder how other translations put that 28. If any one of you has stolen from someone else, never do it again. Instead, be industrious, earning an honest living, and then you'll have enough to bless those in need. Right? Okay, the message. Did he used to make ends meet by stealing? <laughs> well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. It's straightforward, no? Your intention is to help others get a job. Don't steal to help others. Because clearly, helping others is the subject matter here. Does that make sense? Wanting to help somebody. It's the subject matter here. 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impact grace to the hearers. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Some translations say unwholesome words. Right? Unwholesome. The word is sapros for corrupt or unwholesome. S-A-P-R-O-S. It simply means rotten. Or depraved. Or useless. Here's the breakdown. If you will say something to someone that you would need them to forget, don't say it. That's unwholesome. If you say something to someone that they can't bank and reference, don't say it. In other words, if you're speaking, it should be something that when remembered can edify. Who understood what I just said? Because if it's rotten, what do you do with it? You discard it. And most times, not everyone has the discipline to shake off what you said. Hear me, church of God. See, our problem is not much. We are just not practicing deliberately. Not everyone has the discipline, the maturity to shake off what you said. It might not affect Pav. It might affect somebody else. So you don't always only think of yourself when you speak. Think of the impact of what you're saying on your hearer. That's how we learn Christ. Let no unwholesome word, let no word be said from you that you might need to recall because you actually cannot. You actually cannot. 
If they have to forget it, if they have to forget you said it, if they have to go past what you said to relate with you, then don't say it. And I, I know she didn't mean it that way. I know, I know what she said, but I know she didn't mean it. You have put them in a funny position. They're not having to read you beyond what you say. You are supposed to be what you say. Right? You're supposed to be what you say. If you put us in a position where we have to ignore what you say in order to deal with you, to appreciate you, then you should not have said it. That's unwholesome. That's unprofitable. But let what you say, 29. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grieve. I won't dwell on that today. That you can grieve his heart. He doesn't leave, but he's pained. Because you are misrepresenting him. Remember that? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not distress. The word there means to cause emotional pain. Severe sorrow. To experience deep pain. So intense that it's even used of the pain of childbirth. That's the word grieved. Lupeo. L-U-P-E-O. Lupeo. That's the phonetic spelling. Lupeo. But spelled L-U-P-E-O. E-O, L-U-P-E-O, Lupeo, grieved, to distress, to cause, to experience deep emotional pain, severe sorrow, intense and used even of the pain of childbirth. That was what was used in Genesis 3.16 of the woman that you, in pain, in travail, you will bring forth. That was the word Lupeo. Septuagint. Don't cause the Holy Spirit pain by what we do that this is this misrepresents him. Right? 31. I need to finish 31 and 32. Let all bitterness. Can we all read this together? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. And evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Stay there. See what Paul is instructing. Let all bitterness, all, not just the unjustified one, all. It shouldn't be found among us. Wrath, anger. Have I made my point? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What do you do with anger? See why it's good to follow scripture systematically? So was it right or was it correct? Be angry and see not. Don't let someone... Don't be angry. Then it gets clearer when he's summarizing everything. He says, anger. Put it away. Clamor. Psychophancy. English of the Nigerians who say gra gra. No gra gra. No, no, no gra gra. It's clamor. You're clamoring for stuff. 
overt, overt hustling. I want, I want, I want that one. If, if it's nice, I want it. Why did the other person get it? What did the other person do to get it that I didn't do to get? Clamor. There's a prospect of a relationship developing between two people. You're upset. The person is not you that he wants. And I've taught you in this house, God's will for you is not a particular person. That's another lie that religion taught. If you miss this person, you have missed God's will for your life. Where do you see that? God's will for you is the yielded vessel at the right time. Be careful what you're believing as scripture, soulmates. From where? Be careful that the world view does not become your world view. Careful. The world view is different from the word view. They can say whatever they want to say and believe what they want to believe. We stand on the word of God. Soulmates, what's that? It's founded on Greek myth. Not scripture. It's Greek myth. Diana and Venus will, will t- get, get the souls of people together on her mountain and stitch a, a string around them and bind them together. And they'll become one in soul, both here and in, in the hereafter. The Vikings came and borrowed it and added it to such that we can be one in life and we can be one in Valhalla. The table of Odin. And then it becomes standard and you don't realize that you are pushing paganism as believers. Pushing a champion in advocating paganism at best. Witchcraft at worst. So you start to hustle a brother. Hustle a sister. Blessing of the Lord makes rich and difficulty does not accompany it. Blessing of the Lord make it rich and addeth no sorrow. I think it's NASB that says difficulty does not accompany it. I believe it. Blessing of the Lord makes rich and difficulty. Because I've said over and over what you compromise to get, you have to compromise to keep. Clamor. They bring out the food to serve. Your whole body starts to vibrate and be giddy. I know what I'm saying. Your enzymes lose control. You're salivating, you're sweating, you're perspiring, you're trepidating, all of you. All, all of you at once. Why is the food taking so long to come now? It doesn't matter what you are saying at this point, you're not hearing. For this reason, some of you are sick. Am I instructing anybody? Clamor. Clamor. Unnecessary clamor. Part of clamor includes yearning for what you have. They're trying to sort out transport in church. You have transport! And you're trying to enter those that they'll sort out transport for. That's clamor. And the clamor brings rancor. Brings confusion. And it becomes so noisy. And you're wondering? Because everybody is trying to out-talk the other. That's why most worship teams don't sound tight. Because one singer is trying to outsing the other. Let them hear my alto. I want to hear my voice in the sound. I want to hear. I can't hear my voice. Can you hear the alto? You can hear the alto. That's your voice. Can you hear the soprano? 
That's your voice. If it's voices, it's a bad tone, it's a bad blend, it's a bad mix. Yes, sir. Are you here? Yes, sir. Bad tone, bad blend, bad mix. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to hear my voice. So there's that inherent workings of an unregenerate mind. Competing for what should not be apprehended. Because most times if you assess yourself by your own measurements, you will fall short. You might never be good enough for you. In church. In church. In church, you shine better as part of the whole. That's the design. That's why individualism is a problem. Right? Individualism is a problem. You shine better connected. So rancor comes from clamoring, hustling stuff. You see something being done for someone, you just remember, yeah, me too. And then you start to fight us until we do it for you. Clamoring. Even if your need is genuine, you don't clamor for it. Tell your neighbor, put it away. Evil speaking. Put it away. 32. What replaces that? Because every time Paul tells you to put something away, he tells you what to do in his place. He says, be kind to one another. Tender hearted. To one another. Tender hearted. In English terms, your heart towards your brother, your fellow believer, should be tender. You splang chinos. You splang chinos. E-U-S-P-L-A-G-C-H-N-O-S. It comes from splangnon, which is the visceral, you know, visceral, your inside, your bowels, which is like the supposed to be the softest part of the innards of the of the person. Right? Splangnon. From your internal. So when it says be tender-hearted. It means let your, let your desires, let your, your thoughts towards somebody be soft. Does that make sense? Be soft. As soft as your bowels. In the manner of speaking. That's what it means to be tender. You said the meat was nice and tender. Right? It wasn't hard. It didn't task your jaws. So should your thoughts be to your brother. Don't task them. Don't make them sweat for your affection. Be tender-hearted to one another. Forgiving one another. That now ends what Jesus started in 70 times 7. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ. Be tender heart. Kind to your brother. How do you live with yourself when you make someone cry and you know you made them cry? And you walk away knowing you made them cry. I told them, I just said my mind. I had to say it as it was. If that doesn't break you, then nothing will. And if you're not married, stay single. If you're married, get a divorce. You're not ready. It will break. Because there's no love without empathy. Don't deceive yourself. 
You can't love a person and not feel what they feel or project yourself into their shoes when something is happening. Does that make sense? There can be no love without empathy. You must be moved by what is moving your brother. You must be. You must be stirred by what is stirring your sister. That's the only time you can be of blessing to them. So if you don't have empathy, you're not ready for any relationship. Any. Empathy is not reward for good behavior. Empathy is the outflow of a life of love and commitment. If you love someone and are committed to them, you, your heart will beat as one with them. Same pulse as theirs. Same pulse as theirs. Be kind-hearted. Tender-hearted. What is difficult about that? If we're going to obey the son. What is there to lose in putting away lying? In putting away malice? In putting away clamor and wrath and pride and boastfulness and vain speech, unwholesome speech, speech that you wish somebody to forget then we start to be the word we start to be the gospel that the world needs to see there's too much talk guys there's too much publishing like I said when I started not enough practicing publish the word practice the word publish the word practice the word publish the word practice the word Publishing the gospel, practicing the gospel, and then proving the gospel. That's how transformation takes place. That's the transformation that leads to the culture of the kingdom. So when you hear messages like this, let there be a call to sober reflection. Receive them with joy because they are for your benefit. You may not scream and shout, and it's okay. <laughs> but this is what benefits you. This is what stretches and grows you. This will cause you to look around and, and evaluate and appraise your growth. How much of a doer you are. How much of a practicer you are. Talk the talk by all means, but walk the walk. Let's do the gospel. If it's good enough to be believed, it's good enough to be practiced. If it's good enough to give you assurance, it's good enough to give you responsibility. And, I'm, and we're talking just church being a better place. We're not talking the world yet. Right? Just, just church. Church being the safest place. Church being the most wholesome place. Church being the place where we're safe. Where we heal the fastest. Where we forgive the quickest. We understand the best. And we compromise the least. Because the more understanding there is, the less the need to compromise. Mostly compromise is absence of understanding. I don't fully get you. You don't fully get me. Can we meet in the middle? Right? You shift from here. I shift from here. We meet here. No man's land. Does that make sense? That's compromise. And it's not a scriptural principle. It's secular. Compromise is not scriptural. That's so whenever I counsel people in relationships, I tell them, stay away from that demon spirit called compromise. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Compromise is the absence of understanding. 
Compromise means you have a standard, you shifted from it. I have a standard, I shifted from it. We are neither here nor there. If the word of God is the standard and you and I are in agreement, we don't need to compromise on the word. Talk to me now. With this understanding. Comes from the word. Husband knows his place, wife knows her place. According to scripture, we have an understanding for which we do not need to compromise. So the more understanding exists, the less compromise is required. Are you getting this? When church becomes a sweeter place, discipling becomes easier, following becomes easier, ministry becomes more effective. Because there's a lot of us out there being Christ on this plane. The world is in dire need of Christ. They just can't find him. And they ain't going to come into your Sunday service to find him. If they have to come into church, an unbeliever has to come to church to find Christ. The church failed. Church failed. So that tells you how long we have been failing for. Every time we invite the unbeliever to church on Sunday to see Christ. You can't see Christ except in your building on a Sunday. What are you doing out there? beautiful thing about all of this is that the work in you is being done of God. That means there is no shortage of his grace. Pray that into yourself for a minute. No, thank you Father that there is no shortage of your grace for me to practice this gospel. Pray that out. There is no sh shortage. The more I receive your word, the more my mind is transformed. The more my mind is transformed is the more I practice your word. I receive your word. Your, your word transforms my mind. My mind practices your word. Thank you for the grace available to me. I receive your word. I open up my heart to your word. I receive your word. Your word transforms my mind. My mind practices your word. Your grace is sufficient. I'm equipped to do your word. And I thank you for it. We receive with meekness your engrafted word that is able to save our souls. We thank you for what you're working in us what you're working through us what you've worked for us again Lord we declare that our transformation is evident our transformation is evident that all men will see that indeed we are maturing as we practice the gospel your desire in us is making this come to pass. Because you're the one that walks in us both to will and to do according to your great pleasure. So we yield. We follow. Our hands are set to the plow. We're not looking back. We get better at displaying Christ in the world the benefit of those that do not believe that they might see us and give glory to God thank you that the church is healthier on account of our obedience 
church is effective on account of our obedience. Ministry is smoother on account of our obedience. Our giving improves on account of our obedience. Our fellowship is richer on account of our obedience to your word and the practice of the gospel as you have handed down to us. We give you thanks and we give you praise for all the glory is yours. Amen. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at war the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.